there was a celebrated filmmaker. He was from Sweden. I'd never heard of him. I guess you have to be from Sweden to hear from some of them. But his name was Ingmar Bergman. Tells the story of how one day he was listening to the works of Stravinsky. They kind of swelled and moved all those orchestrations, how beautiful it was. And he began to daydream about um, the cathedral, a cathedral. That kind of in his mind, he pictured a cathedral with its spires and its, um, the, the buttresses and all of that, that beauty of architecture. And so he actually went to the cathedral that he was thinking of there in his town after he's listening to this music and thinking, I, I guess being drawn probably by the Holy Spirit. And he goes there and he finds in that beautiful cathedral a painting, just kind of a, an idea of what maybe Jesus looked like. We imagine it was probably very Anglo, so it wasn't very accurate. Uh, but he was looking at this picture, and he felt in his heart that something was going on, and he said, just speak to me. Just speak to me. Talk to the painting. Kind of hope the painting would talk back. And nothing happened. It was silent. Remember I mentioned he was a filmmaker, so he actually went back and he made a, he made a film, a, a movie, uh, and that movie was called The Silence. And it was all about characters who despair over finding that God is silent. Because he had hoped that he could just go in there and he could look at the painting and speak to me and it would happen. And I've said, Lord, if you just walked in here, or if you just gave me a vision, or if I just had a dream, or if you just spoke to me audibly. But interestingly enough, although God does speak in those ways, more often than not, He speaks in other ways. Still small voice, a whispering, a nudging of the Holy Spirit. He speaks through His Word very powerfully. There have been times in my prayer closet where I wondered why God wasn't speaking, and He said, you remember that Bible that's sitting over there? Have you opened it recently? And I open it, and all of a sudden he speaks. Matter of fact, St. Augustine said, when the scriptures speak, God speaks. And so this man who was hoping that he could, just because of the swelling of the music, and I guess the, 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 the beautiful picture of that, of that chapel or that cathedral, and then the picture of Jesus, he was hoping he would hear Jesus speak. But he gave up too quickly. He gave up too quickly. But one of the parts of this sermon series is to remind you and I that God is always speaking. If you and I can't hear Him, we've got some kind of spiritual cotton balls stuck in our ears. And there may be a time and a place why we can't hear Him and He's working on sifting some things out of our life. Maybe getting us to open our Bible. Getting us to go back to church because He speaks in the presence of His people on an ongoing basis. If you haven't heard God speak, it's not because He's not speaking. It's maybe that we just have to tune our ears to hear His voice. Matter of fact, it was told of... These two gentlemen walking actually in Times Square. And the one gentleman looked at the other gentleman and he said, Did you hear that? That's a cricket. And he said, I heard no cricket. How can you hear anything in all the noise of this city? He's like, You didn't hear the cricket? It was beautiful. I just heard it. He's like, There's no way you could have heard that. He's like, I was listening for it. And he pulled some change out of his pocket and he dropped it on the sidewalk. And as that change hit the sidewalk, the sound of the money ringing, a bunch of people turned around and looked at the money as it clanged off the sidewalk. And the gentleman who'd heard the crickets, who was trying to share with his friend a very important life lesson, he looked at him and he said, you often hear what you're listening for. 
And so God is speaking. At times it seems that he's silent, but I can assure you he's speaking through his word, by his Holy Spirit, through his body. He's speaking in times of worship. He's speaking even in the arranging of circumstances. And we're going to talk today about how we can respond to God speaking. We can receive from God. And then uh, a very difficult and important lesson about how you and I can die daily. That sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? But it's actually a beautiful thing. Help me out with a couple of scriptures that we read last week. The first one will be on the screen, so read this one with me. John 10, 27. Let's read this one out loud together. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. All right, let's try that again. I know we can do it together. All right, so from the top. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So we need to hear the voice of our shepherd, recognize his voice, and then when we hear him, we follow him. That was one we shared last week. I hope you also wrote this one that I shared with you last week, and it's from Isaiah. It's meant the, so much to me over those last seven or eight years, and it says in Isaiah thirty thirty, the Lord will cause his voice of authority to be heard. It's interesting because he's actually talking about when he's making sure that the enemies of, of his people know that he is the authoritative, definitive, sovereign ruler, and what he says goes. But if he makes sure that his enemies hear his voice, how much more is he going to make sure that his children hear his voice? The Lord causes his voice to be heard. And I'm going to have you repeat this back to me in just a moment. We also looked at this last week, and it'll be a great thing for us to memorize and kind of a posture and an attitude of our hearts was that when God spoke to Samuel in 1 Samuel 3.10, this is the fourth time that he came and spoke to him, the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Let's say that part at the end. Speak, for your servant is listening. That needs to be the posture and the attitude of our heart. Speak, for your servant is listening. So I went through and I looked at how different people in the Bible responded to God. And we're going to do that over the coming weeks. We're going to see how did different people in the Bible respond to God. Um, and, and if you remember last week, we had some, some good examples and then some, some not so good examples. One of them today is Moses' life and actually his example to begin with, not so great. Remember the burning bush. And so God says, take off your sandals. The, 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 the place where you are is holy ground. Take off your sandals. And so he does. Uh, but then God says, now you're going to go back to Egypt and you're going to deliver my people out of Egypt. And instead of Moses saying, okay, speak for your servant is listening. Or yes, Lord. Or wow, that's amazing. I'm so glad you called me and you're going to do this for your people. Instead of any of those possible responses, instead he hid his face. He was afraid to look at God, was one of them. His next reaction was that when God asked him about this plan, he, had, he said, well, how exactly is this going to work? I'm not quite sure how this is going to work. So he kind of responded um, with doubt. Responded with some fear, like Adam and Eve last week, remember? Where are you? And they were hidden, and they were ashamed, and they were afraid. So some examples of not ways we want to respond to God. But beautifully, Moses turned it around. And he finally said yes to God, and we know the rest of the story, and he led them out of Egypt and into the promised land. But to begin with, his response wasn't all that good. Noah gives us a little bit of a better response, actually a pretty powerful one. So God comes to Noah, says build an ark, 
takes him a hundred years. I wonder how long before he started saying, what am I doing? Did I really hear God or did I just hear a voice? What's going on here? A hundred years to build this. But it says in Genesis 6.22, Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. This is a great way to respond to God. Um, Thinking about if you've responded to uh, your teacher poorly or your children have responded to you poorly. I, I remember... Uh, having an employee at one point, and I shared some instructions about what needed to be done, and I left. Just I passed on the instructions. And I left, and I assumed that as an employee, they would just do what they were told. Later on, I had someone come to me and said, you know, I was in the next office after you walked out, and I overheard that employee say, he thinks I'm going to do that for him. I'm not doing that for him. Wow. That doesn't work very well for an employer-employee relationship. How does that work when we're in a relationship with the God, creator, sovereign, majestic ruler of the universe if we respond in that manner to the Lord? But Noah didn't. Noah responded beautifully, right? He did all, all that the Lord had commanded him to do. Abraham, when God first comes to Abraham... And says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a father of many peoples as far as, as, as the eye can see, and I'm going to give you these descendants, and I'm going to give you this, uh, all of these blessings. It says in Genesis 12:4. so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. He went forth, he obeyed. I love examples like that. Now, in the course of this sermon series, we'll look at some of the negative examples of people who blow it. Uh, I might mention a couple later on in the service even today. But mostly, I want to celebrate those who have given us an example that we could follow of faithfulness and obedience. I love it. One more that I'll tell you about in Genesis 28, and it was Jacob. So we've got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob, as we know, wrestled with God that one night. And he's, he's wrestling with him all night long. And the Lord touches his hip, and he limps. And this is what it says in Genesis 28. Uh, Verses 16 and following, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, but I didn't know it. And he took the stone that he'd put under his hand, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of this stone, like an altar. And then Jacob made a vow, saying, If the Lord will be with me and keep me on this journey, then the Lord will be my God. That is a beautiful response. I didn't know he was here, but now I realize God was here in this place all along, And I'm going to build an altar to the Lord, and I'm going to pour out as a sacrifice. He poured out oil. I'm going to pour out my life as a sacrifice because God was here. And I'll be his servant, and he'll be my God as I journey. That's a great example that we need to follow. Here's the thing about this sermon series about responding to God. It's kind of like playing catch. You ever played catch with a three or a four-year-old that they get the ball and they're like, oh, that's fun, and then they run off with it? And you're like, no, throw it back. You, you have to throw it to me. What? You know, and then they throw it back once and you throw it back and they're like, okay, and they, they start to leave with the ball. You can't play catch if they don't throw it back. It's just kind of a standoff where you're just staring at each other. <clears throat> My kids have had words with one another when they wouldn't return the ball to the other one. Give it back. No, you give it back. But you're not playing catch if you don't actually throw the ball, catch it, and throw it back, and catch it. And with God speaking to us, how are we responding? Are we playing catch with God, or are we just taking our ball and our mitt and going home? And so let me share a couple other scriptures with you as we get ready to uh, unpack this message for you. 
first one is from Amos chapter 4. It says this, You were like a firebrand snatched from a blaze, but you have not returned to me. So this is where we're not playing catch. He says, I, I snatched you out of the blaze to, to save you from the fire, but, but you haven't returned to me. Not playing catch. Isaiah 1-2 says this, Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and I have brought up, but they've revolted against me. It says, I raised you like a child in my own family, but you've not played catch. You've run off and gone your own way. Two more to think about. Isaiah 28-23, and this actually occurs a lot in Isaiah where God's speaking to his people, and he says, Give ear and hear my voice. Listen to my words. Listen up. I'm speaking. Pay attention. This is important. Write it down. And then Ezekiel 3.10 says, God speaking to Ezekiel, Son of man, take into your heart all my words which I will speak to you and listen closely. So that's what God says to you and to me today. I'm speaking. I'm not silent. I'm speaking. Let's play catch. I'm going to give to you and you speak. You respond to me. Pay close attention to what I'm saying. Lord, help us to hear your voice. Help us to know that it's you because we're your sheep and you're our good shepherd. Help us to respond in an appropriate way to who you are, to what you're saying and what you're revealing. Thank you, God, that you speak through your word and by your Holy Spirit and you have a message for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the first point of the message here today, it's just a three-point message, but the first point is, Thus saith the Lord, receive from me. Receive from me. That is God's message to you and to me. Receive from Him. He's saying, receive from me. So I want you guys to help me out. And so to say out loud, something you have received from the Lord. Just kind of back and forth here for a minute. What have you personally received from the Lord? Love. Blessings. Beautiful. Faithfulness. Good. Somebody else. Grace and life. What? Joy. And remember the hymn. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what God has done. The Lord says, receive from me. I have something for you today. I want to give it to you. I want to declare it to you. I want to speak it over you. I want to give it to you as a gift that you can unpack and have in your life. God says to you today and every single day, receive from me. Matter of fact, Leonard Ravenhill said this. I would encourage you to write it down. It says, every revival or breakthrough experience is preceded by a revelation of what God has done for you. If you want to have a revival or a breakthrough experience in your life, it is preceded by you having a revelation of what God has already done for you. Right? So, so what if you walked in here this morning, and, and sadly, I don't know if you saw, but scores of people yesterday, I think it was like 80 people from the coronavirus died yesterday. Right? What, what if you walked in here this morning, and, and you had an illness such as that, that up to this point, they, 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 they couldn't necessarily just give you a shot and you're better. There's kind of a, a period of healing that takes place, and there's medicine they can give you. But what if you walk in here and we say, all you have to do is take this one shot, and you're going to be instantly better. It's already paid for. It's already been tested. It works 100% of the time, every time with no side effects. And you're sitting there saying, well, I've got the illness. You've got the shot. 
I'll take it, please. So when there's a revelation of something that's already been done for you that will provide for what is needed in your life, that will address the illness or the sickness or the disease or the death or the decay or the depression, whatever it is, and it's already been paid for, I hope your heart would begin to leap and say, I have a new lease on life. I have this hope and this joy. I can be healed now. Yes, give me the shot, right? And so God has already done for you all that you need. So I'm going to read Second uh, Peter 1.3 to help us see this. Seeing this, that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. His divine power has granted to you and to me everything that is needed for life and godliness. Everything. We give a mental assent to that and we say, amen, that's true because it's the Bible. But then... <clears throat> On Monday or Tuesday, when you say, boy, I don't think I have one more nerve to deal with that person, that situation. I don't have one more bit of patience. And God says, I have given you everything. I've supplied everything that's needed for life and godliness. And we say, not patience, evidently, because I don't feel like I have any. So therefore, we're saying God was wrong in that scripture. And yet God says, no, I have provided it. So we have to say, okay, Lord, I don't feel in my emotional state. I don't feel in my willpower. Let's be honest with God. He already knows anyway. I don't feel that I have any patience left. But, Lord, you have provided all the patience that's needed. You're perfect in patience, Scripture says. Everything I need for life and godliness. So, Lord, may that, your patience, flow through me in spite of my feelings, in spite of my last nerve being trampled on by these people. Everything that we need for life and godliness. Isaiah 46.3 says, Listen to me. Listen to me, people of God, house of Jacob. You who have been born from me from birth. I'm the one that's given you life, he says. He says, even to your old age, I will be the same. I will be faithful. Even into your graying years, I will bear you and take care of you. I have done it. I will carry you. I will bear you. I will deliver you. That's a lot of things that God says he will do. He's already promised it. He's already made a way for it. All we have to do is believe it and receive it. So remember, point number one, thus saith the Lord, receive from me. Right? And you say, well, I don't have any wisdom. But who has the wisdom? God has it. Everything that you and I need for life and godliness. Scripture says this, if God was not willing that any should perish, but he actually gave his son so that we could be saved, will he not freely give us all other things? Because he's saying, if he's going to give his son to die for us, will he then say, well, it was worth the price of my son, but I'm not going to give you patience. That's on you. Well, no, he gave us his whole son, his whole spirit, his whole heart, his whole DNA. And that means wisdom. And that means purity. And that means righteousness. And that means patience. That means we have to receive it from him. We have to believe it's coming from him. It proceeds forth. He's sourcing it, but it's still from him. Every revival, every breakthrough experience in yours and my life will come by a revelation that God has already done all that is needed. So Isaiah 43, I read during the call to worship. Matter of fact, why don't we look there on the screen? I think it's up there now, or it will be. Isaiah 43, and I want you to look at all the things that God says that he will do for you. Okay? 
He who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you already. It's already exchanged. It's already paid the price. I have called you by name. You are mine. Let's go to the next slide. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not overflow you. Though you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. It says, I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place. The next slide there. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place, other people in exchange for your life. Think about it. Jesus gave his life so that we could be saved. The disciples gave their lives that the message could go forward. That's what he's talking about here. There's going to be people given in their life given so that we could be saved. Do not fear. I am with you. And I will bring your offspring from the east, the north, and the south, and from all far. So think about this. Thus saith the Lord, receive from me. I want you to hear a couple things before we move on to point number two. There is nothing, not one thing, that you will need or righteously desire in this life that has not already been paid for by Jesus Christ. There's not one thing that you will ever need or righteously desire that he's not already paid for. So if you find yourself lacking, remember in James it says that, that you can ask the Lord and you'll find that you're lacking nothing. So if you find yourself lacking then it's because we haven't asked or we haven't waited for God's perfect timing or we haven't received from the Lord what he's already paid for because of maybe unbelief or maybe impatience in our own life. Think about this. There's no gift or blessing that God himself has not already made plans and provision to supply you in his perfect timing. So you say, but I don't have the right job with the right income for my family. He's already got a plan for that. You say, but I can keep having these headaches, and these headaches won't go away. God has a plan for that. What is his plan? I don't know, but the mind of Christ, well, he knows. He has a plan. He'll reveal it. He will bring healing. He will bring sustenance. He will bring provision in his timing, in his way, for his glory, and for your good. Okay? And so, think about this. Every command from God is given for our for our good and his glory. Every promise from God is backed up by his character of perfect, holy love, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, perfect being that he is. Every promise he's made is backed up by that. So you don't have to wonder, is it going to come to pass? I, I think what's awesome is if you read scripture, there's never one time where Jesus wondered if his father would answer his prayer. He didn't say, I don't know if you're going to do this or not, God, I hope you might. He always knew that his father would answer prayer. Matter of fact, he even said it out loud when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, Father, I know that you hear me. I know that you always hear me, but I said that so that the people here would know as well. You always hear me. Well, let me tell you this story. It was uh, actually of a golfer, <clears throat> and it helps us understand a little bit our own lives. Um, this, gar this golfer named Harvey Pinnock, and he wrote a book called Little Red Book, and it was actually a surprising bestseller, selling more than one million copies in 92. Earned a bunch of money. Well, he was 90 years old when he wrote it. So he was this pro golfer, and he wrote this manuscript, and he approached some different people, and finally had this publisher say, yeah, we'll do it. We'll, we like it, we'll publish it, and they even agreed to an advance of $90,000 up front. Well, he went back home, and he talks to his wife, and he goes through all of their 
uh, accounts and looks at all of their assets. And the next time that he talks to this representative from the publishing house, then, then, then his face kind of fell. And they were like, well, what's going on? And he said, I'd really like to publish it, but I just don't have the $90,000 you mentioned last time. And they said, you don't understand. We're going to give you the $90,000. We're going to supply what you need. You just have to give us the book. That's what God says. I'll supply what you need. We think we have to come up with the $90,000. He says, I'll supply what you need. You just give me yourself. I'll supply what you need. It's already paid for. Receive from me. So there's two possible responses or two basic responses to God's call. They're listed there in your sermon outline. One is unbelief and one is belief. So you're you're disbelieving what he says or you're having faith in what he says. You're either disobeying what he says or you're obeying what he says. That's basically the two responses. There are two times in Scripture that it records that Jesus was amazed. Does anybody remember what those two times were? Jesus? He was amazed at the faith of the Roman centurion. I've not seen faith like this in all of the land. There was one other time that he was amazed. Does anybody remember? In his hometown, he was amazed at their lack of faith, and he could do very few miracles there. Two times that Scripture says Jesus was amazed at someone's faith or someone's lack of faith. And isn't that interesting? Those are our two possible responses. And so in Matthew 13, 58, it says Jesus did not do many miracles there in his hometown because of their unbelief. In Hebrews 3, it says that those Israelites in the desert heard all of these examples, or they heard all of these instructions from the Lord, and they didn't believe them. And because they didn't believe them, it says that they actually perished in the desert. They were disobedient because they did not believe. When we don't believe God, it always leads us to disobedience. Well, God, I know you said you'd take care of me, but I'll take care of this one. I know you said you would provide God, but I like my way of providing better unbelief is always going to lead to disobedience every single time matter of fact hebrews 4 2 says we've had the same good news preached to us that they had preached to them but the word did not profit the israelites in the desert because they did not combine what they heard with faith in other words there could be two people in the sanctuary this morning Both of you hearing the same message that God has provided for you all that is needed. You just have to ask and believe. And one will walk out and say, God, I believe. Now help me to follow you in obedience. And the other one says, that pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. Life's harder than that. I just don't think it works that way. And the one who believes will receive. And the one who does not believe is going to go down their own path. And so how do you and I express our unbelief? Often we're going to express it through fear. We're around here out to get me. Because when we don't believe that God sees the sparrow and that he sees us, then it leads us to places of disobedience. But the the other option is beautiful, and that is we can believe. We can believe what God says. We can walk as if everything that God said is true. And so if we do that, then we have this example of the centurion in Luke chapter 7. And he said to the Lord, 
I'm a man placed under authority with soldiers under me, and I say, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, or he was amazed at him. He turned to the crowd and said, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. And when those who had been sent to him returned, they found that his servant was in good health. Right? So our other response, besides disbelieving, is to believe and find that the people we pray for are actually healed. And the people that we intercede for actually have the Lord draw them into salvation. John thirteen fifteen, Jesus said, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Jesus never wondered if his father was going to answer. He never second-guessed. Jesus said, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done. So we, we don't need to second-guess the Father. We just need to say, yes, Lord, I know that what you've said is true. Say this, Lord, help me to believe. That's what we need to say. Lord, help me to believe. <clears throat> Point number three is about dying daily. This is how we every single day choose to obey instead of and, and to believe instead of to disbelieve. A man asked George Mueller the secret of his service. And you remember George Mueller ran the orphanages with like a thousand kids. And, and he never asked anybody for money. Never. And all of the money came in that provided for all the salaries, all the food, all the building of the orphanages. And somebody asked him, how in the world have you had this uh, secret or what secret to your service is there? And he said this, there was a day when I died. I utterly died to George Mueller to his opinions, to his preferences, to his taste, and to his will. I died to the world, to its approval or censure. I died to the approval or blame of my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied to show myself approved only to God. What would it be like if you said, you know what, my opinion doesn't matter. My preference doesn't matter. My thoughts and and emotions, though I have them, they don't matter. What matters is from God. God can use all of those things when they come under his authority, but I'm going to die to all those things. I'm not going to live for whether you like me or not. I'm going to live for the approval of God. What would happen if we died daily and had a lifestyle of responding to the Lord? So Jesus was calling people to be his disciples, and he said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So let's look at Galatians 2.20, because I want us to say this out loud, Galatians 2.20. This should be a life verse for us about dying daily. Okay, you think you can find that and put that up on the screen? Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So let's say that out loud together, that first part. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That needs to be our daily prayer, our daily commitment. I die to self. So I want to give you, just in closing, some, some pointers. And uh, a couple of these, um, you're going to say, well, that's common sense. Uh, that's okay, God can use common sense too. Uh, I actually found it in a, in a manners article on, on how to have good manners. We're talking about responding to God. He says, I'll provide for you, receive from me. We have two responses. We can respond well with belief, or we can respond poorly with unbelief. Okay, 
And so to respond well with belief all the time is that we die to ourselves and we say yes to everything God says. Well, here's some ways that we can respond positively to the Lord. Here's some manners for you. When you read this article on how to have manners, things that you teach your children, there's some things you do and things you don't do in conversation. Here's some conversation things that you do. Look people, look at people, and look them in the eye when you're talking to them. Okay, so this is one example from this Manners article. It says, if you haven't met before, introduce yourself, ask their name, and use a person's name when talking to them. So you're looking at them, you're looking them in the eye, you're using their name. Okay, but it also says, ask questions when you don't understand something. And, and stick to the subject at hand and say nice things about people and praise people. Don't be negative. This is just a Manners article. But we're, we're talking about responding well to God. Do we look God in the eye when we talk to him? Do we, do we speak to him directly? Wednesday night at church, I shared an example of we have prayer services sometimes or worship services, and it's like Jesus comes in and he sits over there and <clears throat> we sing about Jesus and we talk about Jesus and we ask questions about Jesus and Jesus says, well, here I am. And we're like, uh, shh, be quiet. We're, we're busy talking about you. And he says, well, I'm right here. Why don't you talk to me? Oh, no, Jesus, that's not the way we do prayer meetings. We talk about Jesus. We don't talk to Jesus. But what would that be like if, if we had Jesus right here with us and we wouldn't look him in the eye? And we wouldn't say to him, Jesus, I love you. You ever struggled with that? When you see the person that you know you're supposed to say I'm sorry to and you look them in the eye and you're, you feel like you just can't get the words to come out? Or you avoid looking them in the eye altogether because you have shame or guilt. We do that with God. So, so there's some conversation do's. Look at them. Talk to them. But then here's some conversation don'ts. These are probably just as equally important. Don't fidget. Don't look elsewhere. Don't wander off while someone is talking to you. Ever had that? I've probably done it to you guys. I have ADD. I sometimes, we're in the middle of talking. Maybe my eyes wander. I don't know. But have you done that to God? He's like, I'm talking to you. Oh, hold on, God. I've, I've got other things going on. So, so don't fidget. Don't look elsewhere. Don't wander off while, someone else is, uh, while someone's talking to you. Don't uh, interrupt. Don't whisper in front of them. Don't, don't point at them and stare. Don't argue with them. This is just a manners thing. But have you ever considered how you respond to God? Do you have a worship service about God but not to Him? you ever have a prayer meeting where God says, I'd like to talk to you. God, I'm in the middle of a prayer list. Don't interrupt. And God says, let's have a conversation back and forth. Respond to me with faith and obedience. Respond to me with politeness. Respond to me in an honorable way. So there's three things in closing. What is God saying to you? I hope you've heard today that he says, receive from me. So whatever you're lacking in, he says, I've got it. So how will you respond to that? How do you respond to a Bible study or a sermon? How do you respond to where God reveals something to you? Because if we just rush up to God and we just say, thanks for the gift, and we turn around and walk away, but we don't actually look him in the eye and spend time conversing with him, I fear that that's often what we do in church service. But I believe that the place and the time where we can respond to God well is when we lift our hands or when we bow our head 
or where we kneel at our pew or kneel at the altar or where we write something down like in a prayer on our piece of paper and we say, Dear God, I heard you speak to me today. I will follow you. Or we say it out loud. I heard you speak to me today, God. I will follow you. I don't know why it's so hard for us to say things out loud sometimes. When you tell your kids, you need to apologize. Sorry. You know, they just kind of look at the floor, barely mutter it out. No, say it like you mean it. I'm sorry that you're stupid. Uh, You know, it doesn't work. We are supposed to, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that, that I ignored you. I'm sorry that I put myself first. When we respond to God, how can we respond to him in any way less than that? Where we do it with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength and we, we look him in the eye and we respond and saying, God, I hear you. I will obey. So what is God saying to you? He's saying, receive from me. The, the next question I have is, has God been prompting you to do something in your life? Something I didn't even preach about this morning. Something that didn't even come up today. But you know, all week long, he's been talking to you about it. How have you responded to that? Have you ignored it? Tried to push him out and say, God, I can't hear you. I'm too busy. Because if God speaks to you in your everyday life, you have to respond just as much as if he pr- speaks to you in a sermon or a Bible study or a devotion. So here's how we respond to God. And then we're going to close. We say, God, I hear you. This is what I heard you saying to me. I agree with what you've said because everything you say is true. And I I will follow you. And then, you know what you do? You get busy obeying him. So would you stand with me this morning? Whatever God's spoken to you about all week long, or whatever God's spoken to you about this morning, about receive from him, Would you respond to him this morning? The music's going to play. There's a video here. But would you respond to him? Would you tell him, Lord, I hear you. I agree with you. I'm going to obey you. Now help me by your spirit to obey.